This is a recording for the Church of the Resurrection. We are an Anglican church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Our worship includes the proclamation of God's Word, the regular celebration of the Holy Communion, and an expectation that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and our lives. Please join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club on 824 East 14th Street. Years ago, I worked with someone who told me about her sister and how much she and her husband looked forward to the birth of their first child. Now that's something I can connect with. I remember those days, nine years ago, a little over nine years ago, uh, when Meg was very pregnant and I just could not wait to meet my little girl. We knew it was a girl, she had a name. I could feel her kicking and punching. In fact, I could feel her, like it felt like a boxer in a speed bag. Um, Jordan was just a very energetic uh, uh, fetus and newborn. Um, and as that due date approached, I just could not wait to meet her, to see her face. And so this family, they, they also could not wait to, to meet their daughter. Um, the same, uh, same was true for, for her. And um, just so I don't keep saying the friend of the, the sister, of my friend, her name is Allison. Allison is the mother of this beautiful daughter. Um, Allison and her husband welcomed a baby girl into the world, and they named her Quinn. And they watched Quinn learn and grow, which if you're a parent, you realize includes mostly sleeping and pooping and puking. Um, but they also, you also get those great moments where you're not wiping butts, and you're actually seeing them smile at you, and it is a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. Um, and on a night that in many ways was no different than any other night, Quinn very suddenly died from SIDS. If you don't know what SIDS is, SIDS stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. It's this umbrella term um, to explain deaths, or to to describe deaths that we have no explanation for. When when kids under the age of one die for no apparent reason. They're they're like, we we have no clear connection um, for why this child died. And this poor um, girl, Quinn, uh, did not even make it to five months. So when Quinn's first birthday rolled around, seven months later, they thought about what they were going to do on this day. Can't, you can't forget it. You can't just shove it out of your mind. How do you celebrate the birthday of your dead child? Ignoring it just didn't seem right. So Allison had an idea. She thought that the only way that she could make it through the day was if they didn't make it about themselves. And they made um, the memory of little Quinn um, something special. And so they took the money that they were going to spend on the birthday party and the cake and the balloons and all that stuff, and they decided to spend that, by bless, spend that on other people by blessing other, others. Um, and this year was the seventh year of what they be, have come to call Celebrate Coincidence with random acts of kindness and inspiring others by Quinn's story. Quinn got less than five months on this earth and her family has decided to remember her in a very, very special way. They didn't ever want to forget Quinn and and her life. They didn't ever want to forget that. So they turned a day of mourning into a day of celebration. We are a people who remember. I don't mean just we as people, we as South Dakotans. I mean we as Christians. We are a people who remember. We remember those who came before us. We have a perpetual remembrance in the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving we have each Sunday in Holy Communion. And we remember all the saints that came before us. 
This is All Saints Sunday, a solemn day of remembrance for those who came before us. And just to, um, uh, I know that sometimes when you use the word saints, if you come from a Catholic background or if you don't, you might be like, yeah, we don't like the, that term. Um, so just to provide a little bit of clarity on what we mean by saints. You and I are saints. And this is in the identity of our church, that we, our identity is not as sinners. Yes, we sin, but our identity and our baptism is in Jesus Christ, that we are saints. But we also remember those saints that came before us. And this, this, this holy day, this holy feast of, of remembrance and celebration came, um, came to be at a time in the church when, when it was persecuted. And they were able to go through their persecution have a little bit of comfort in the midst of the persecution by remembering those that came before them, by remembering the martyrs, those witnesses, those people who had stood fast in hard times. So this is, this is all saints, and, and this is a baptism feast. This used to be a big day for baptisms in the church, and today I hope that you remember your baptism, and you remember your identity in Christ in that, that you are not associated, you are not what you do, you are not what has been done to you, but you belong to Jesus Christ, that in your baptism you have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection. You are a new creation. Each of us came to faith because of someone who came before us. So that's another way to remember saints, is that, that there were people generations ahead of us who, who nurtured others in the faith. And we remember them, that, that, that we remember with gratitude those who um, stood by us and walked with us in our difficult times, in times that we doubted or, or were ready to walk away from the goodness of Jesus. And I am very much motivated by gratitude at those people who came and walked with me during my vulnerable times. And so I try to live out of that gratitude But one other distinction we make, um, uh, so when we talk about saints, um, yeah, we, we, we acknowledge um, saints, St. Peter, St. Matthew, but also many anonymous saints, but we treat these saints differently than our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Often when they talk about saints, they ask saints to pray for them. We do no such thing. We see no warrant for that in Scripture. And let me just say, I love, I love devil's advocate when, when I, I do a teaching and someone's like, well, what about this? Um, so, like, if I ask St. Peter to pray for me, um, yesterday I had someone ask me, well, I ask you to pray for me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we pray for each other. We see no uh, evidence that, in fact, the prayers of the saints, that they're in a place where they can intercede for us, where, in fact, I know for a fact that you can intercede for me. And I can ask you to pray for me because you are alive and praying. And so we don't ask for saints to pray for us because we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate. So we don't um, ask for Peter to pray for us. I ask um, St. Timothy and St. Zach and St. Rebecca to pray pray for me. Um, And uh, in that way, um, we all support each other in prayer. Jesus Christ is our only mediator and advocate. So um, I wanted—I didn't want this feast, to, this great feast, to, to come and go uh, without mentioning a little bit about it. It's something that has kind of fallen by the wayside, um, and I'm not going to preach on All Saints. I just kind of wanted to, to mention that um, as we continue our Old Testament sermon series. We've been walking through the Old Testament with the lectionary text, the text assigned to us, and we're kind of jumping around the Old Testament. Two weeks ago, we were in Genesis. Last week, we were in Jeremiah, and this week, we are in Isaiah. 
And one of the great things about the sermon series is, is um, right now in the church, we are encouraging each of you to pick up your Bible and to read it each day. We believe that God's word is eternally relevant. His whole word, even those parts that we find confusing, and those parts may be the Old Testament when we open it up and we see a prophet prophesying to an ancient people. And we may say, may say what does that have to do with us? Well, my hope is to equip you to open up your Bibles to the Old Testament, especially the major prophets and the minor prophets, and to make sense of it. Um, and this being just a few days after Reformation Sunday, um, I can share with you a Reformation doctrine, um, and that is we believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, which is a really funny word to choose um, when we just mean clarity. We just mean that scriptures are clear. It's a really funny word because nobody knows what it means. But we believe that scripture is clear and understandable for each of us. That You don't need a priest to mediate the scripture to you. That each of you can and should uh, be reading your Bibles daily. And, and God, and you can make sense of, of God's word is clear for you. You don't need someone special to tell you what it means. Although, here on All Saints Day... I do appreciate those saints who have helped me. Um, I enjoy reading a good commentary to help me understand a text um, so I would, or a good study Bible. I would recommend you purchase a good study Bible to kind of help you as you do your scripture reading. Uh, study Bible simply provides an introduction to each uh, chapter and tells you the context, like who was Isaiah? When, when did he live? And, and what was his ministry? And... Um, and then on each page, you have notes at the bottom that kind of help interpret maybe potentially difficult verses. So if you want a suggestion for a good study Bible, they are not all created equal. I'd be happy uh, to provide um, a recommendation. So we, we believe that God has revealed himself in a very special way through the words of Scripture. That God has spoken, that God still speaks today, um, that we can hear from God in our prayer, that there are certain things that are evidence to all. Um, the Psalms say that the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, we believe that God has spoken in a very special way through the words of Scripture, in a once-for-all way. So we believe that Scripture is very important for us. So one more word about this before we jump into the text, um, and that is uh, uh, just context of, of Isaiah, that Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied to God's people during some very, very dark days, during days of rebellion, during days when God's people forgot his law, and um, many of Isaiah's words to God's people were words of judgment. Um, his prophecy was to call them back to their God, the God who rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. God has never like, understood apart from what he has done for his people. The God who rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And, his, and, and Isaiah was, his prophecy was to call them back to their God. The God who gave the law at Mount Sinai and the God who gave them the gift of the promised land, and the God who revealed his heart to them in the law. The law is not some arbitrary, I'm a God sitting on high, giving you these list of things, seeing if you're going to fail. This law is at the heart of who God is. And in his law, God provided richly for his people. He rescued them out of Egypt. He gave them a land, and he said, you provide for the people who are in need. You provide for the widow and the orphan. Built into the law was provision for the most vulnerable in society. One particular part is in Exodus 22. It says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely 
hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Lest they get too big in their britches, the Lord wants his people to know you with your house and your livestock and your grain bins who think that you earned all this, this was a gift from me to you. Remember, one time you were a sojourner in the land of Egypt. Once you were not a people and now you are a people. Now you are my people. And so you will, once you are them, and now you will provide for those who do not have a home, for those who do not, um, those who lack basic needs. You don't look at the sojourner and say, get a job like me. You remember that you once were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And this is a very tangible thing. This is a very material thing. God says, provide material for these people. And so in, in practice, this meant leaving, um, we see this in other parts of the Old Testament where we see gleanings left at the side of the fields um, for those in need. And we see um, kind of a story of that in, in the book of Ruth. So how are God's people doing with this? Let's check in on them. So let's turn to page seven in your bulletins and see how our friends in Israel are doing. I'll start at the very beginning. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings, of rams, of the fat, of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. How are God's people doing? Not good. You may not know much about Sodom and Gomorrah, but if there's anything you know about these cities is that they were destroyed for their sins. And God is likening his people to Sodom and Gomorrah. Furthermore, the worship that they were offering to God, God is rejecting. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? I've had enough of burnt offerings. I do not delight in them. God is almost being force-fed these burnt offerings. He's like, I, stop, I don't want these. Stop it. God's response to these sacrifices seems almost opposite of the way we see these sacrifices described in the book of Numbers. In Numbers uh, 15, verse 3, we see this beautiful image. This, you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt sacrifice to make a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Here in Isaiah, this is not a pleasing aroma. God has rejected these sacrifices. God has had enough of this empty religion. Because that's what this is, right? This is empty religion. This is religion at its emptiest. It's going through the ceremonies without caring about the heart of the matter, without caring about the heart of God and God's care for those who are marginalized. God cares about spiritual orphans. That was you and me once. We were once spiritual orphans and God welcomed us into his family. God cares about people at the margins. And if we think we are religious because we observe the ceremonies, because we pray the prayers and sing the songs, is that all God wants? 
you remember this verse from the book of James? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Do you remember this? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I don't want to be down on religion. I mean, in many, in some ways, I've mentioned this before, Christianity is the end of religion. It is the end of the cycle of going to our God and appeasing him through sacrifices because Jesus was our sacrifice once and for all. But religiosity is actually good. We want to find new patterns for our lives. We want to find new patterns for our lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And we want to find a new pattern for our lives on Sunday, this liturgy that we gather for on the Lord's Day. We believe that it forms us in very important ways. And we want to be intentional in the way that we live our lives, in the, in the way that we go through our, our daily motions, like that we believe that, that, that what we do with our bodies from when we get up to when we lie down is important. And there's a big thing that goes back um, to, to Judaism, to the Shema, to um, marking ourselves as God's own when we get up and when we, when we rise and when we lie down. But to be religious apart from seeking God's heart, is nonsensical. We worship and we seek the heart of God, which is a heart for the lost and the heart for the marginalized. This is not, to be clear, this is not, I voted for the right person. I voted for someone who will allocate money for the widow and the orphan and the afflicted. That's not what this is. This is not general good feeling. Like, I'm pro-orphan. I'm pro-widow, mm-hmm. Are you pro-widow? Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely. Are you pro-orphan? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. No, God calls for more than just general goodwill towards the marginalized. He wants us, quote, doing good, seeking justice, correcting oppression, bringing justice to the fatherless, and pleading the widow's cause, as we see in verse 17 of uh, this reading from Isaiah. God wants us doing those things, not just generally being in favor of justice. So what do, you, what do you and I do about this? Are we doing enough for the widow and the orphan and the marginalized? Can we possibly do enough? One of the most impactful scenes for me in, in, in all of cinema was a scene near the end of Schindler's List. Uh, Schindler's List, um, some of you probably haven't even seen the movie. Um, it's, it's an old movie um, at this point. It's from the mid-90s. But it's, it's a movie about the Holocaust. And, and Liam Neeson plays this guy, Oscar Schindler, who rescues a number of uh, many Jews um, from concentration camps and from certain death. And the way that he does it is through bribes and this way and that way. And it's a very good movie. However, like, trigger warning, like, it's it, it's traumatic like you see this stuff you see some brutality up close you see how dehumanizing it is but anyway there's a scene at the end where those that he saved um wrote their names on this on this note and they presented to him and they in fact made him a ring made from their the, they collected all the gold from their fillings that they still had and they made a ring as a thank you to him and as he was presented with their gratitude he, he couldn't handle it because he looked at him, he said, I, I could have saved more. I could have, I could have sold my watch. I could have sold my car. I could have used those as bribes to save even more. Is it possible for us to do enough, or do we feel like Oscar Schindler that we are not possibly doing? Can we ever do enough? That's not the point. The point 
isn't for us to beat ourselves up for not doing enough, for us, but for us to seek the heart of God, to change our hearts to be like his. We want to be people who see those at the margins, who care for them materially, and who provide for them. And all this comes from prayer and worship. All this comes from seeking the heart of God, from praying, from remembering. It starts with remembering um, those at the margins, opening our eyes and saying, and being prayerful as we approach God and we say, God, how do you open our eyes to those who are marginalized, those who are the widow, the orphan in our society? And we don't just mean literal widows and orphans. We, we mean people who are at the margins of society, those people who are suffering. All of this comes through intentional seeking of the Lord, through prayer, and through reading of his word. That changes us. As we read God's word and we see God's heart um, for the widow and the orphan, um, and we see God's judgment against the society that has ignored the widow and the orphan, God changes our heart. God, in this passage in Isaiah, is angry at his people. Not only does he say that, that, not only does he say that he hates their religiosity and their sacrifices, he says he will not listen to their prayers in verse 15. It's like, I'm done. I am not going to listen to your prayers. And in verse 16, we see a command to wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. And then jumping to verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now this is familiar language. It's cleansing. The audience is guilty. Their sins are scarlet. The same goes for us. Our sin, any sin, makes us guilty. In Isaiah, God's people are missing the point. As they gather to worship and make sacrifices, as they gather to commune with their Lord, they're missing the point. It's not about religion or observances. It's about opening yourself up to the word, which in its fullness includes a deep care for those who are hungry and who are sick and who are poor. And there's a spiritual component that we should not ignore either. Our blessing is spiritual. Once we were not a people and now we are a people. So yeah, we, we don't tie ourselves to the land that God gave his people, but we are like, once we are on the outside of God's kingdom and now we are gifted and we are on the inside. And apart from Christ, we were spiritual orphans, but through Christ, we are a new creation, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And um, these words, cleanse yourself, we know that we have no ability to cleanse ourselves from sin. And even uh, God's people in the Old Testament knew this. We have that beautiful 51st Psalm where um, the, the, the psalmist says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Um, we know that cleansing comes from outside of us. We have no ability to cleanse ourselves. Would you turn with me to page nine in your bulletins for just a moment? And we can have some symmetry. We opened with all saints. And we're going to end with an all saints theme. With this reading from Revelation. And in doing this, we can compare this reading to Isaiah. In Isaiah, we see God saying to his people, God says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. That's quite an exhortation. You and I can't wash away our sins. We have no ability to cleanse ourselves. We're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
We are cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ. And in this reading from Revelation, we see a great multitude that no one could number. There's a beautiful vision of all the tribes and nations. A, a great multitude seems like underrating what this is. This, no one could number. This is the stars in the sky that God pointed out to Abraham when God made his promise to Abraham about making them a great nation. This is the great multitude of 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 all the, the tapestry of humanity, this, this colorful rainbow of the saints throughout history from all over the world, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And they're standing before the throne clothed in white robes. And those white robes, they're able to wear those white robes not because they cleanse themselves, but because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. This cleanness, this holiness is not given to us of our own merit, but because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. And to close this sermon all Saints Sunday, we hear this powerful declaration to the saints. It's beautiful. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. For saving us from our sin, Lord. And we pray this morning, as we acknowledge our sin and bring it to you and receive cleansing, Lord, as we remember those who came before us, how we remember uh, those who failed to see the unseen people in our society, Lord. Give us your heart to care for the widow and the orphan, those who are invisible, those who are forgotten. Give us eyes to see them by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.